This is the daily lectionary comments for August the 25th. We're going to look at 1 Kings, basically the first half of chapter 8. The ark is brought into the temple. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, where Paul is going to discuss the letter and the spirit. Okay, every now and then we have to stop and take a look at the big picture. Solomon has just completed the temple. And the ark of the covenant has been brought into the temple. And when that happens, the glory of the Lord in a great um, brilliant cloud fills the temple. And this is reminiscent, in fact, I mean, it's almost exactly the same thing as what happened after the tabernacle, the temporary structure uh, that, that housed the ark was completed in, uh, in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 40, it says that when the tabernacle was completed, and we, we had five chapters before that talking about the construction of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. When that was completed in, in chapter 40, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle in a great cloud, and none of the priests were able to enter the tabernacle. And this was a sign to the people that God had accepted their work. Now, the temple is a permanent replacement for what had been a temporary um, uh, uh, building. The tabernacle was designed for the people's wanderings in the wilderness, and it was well suited for the early days in, in the land of Canaan when life was a little bit precarious. But the Lord has fulfilled his promises now, and he has given them, uh, them peace uh, all around, a powerful king, a certain amount of wealth, um, and, and the, they're no longer nomadic in, in, the, in the desert. And so now the structure that had been designed for these earlier days, as wonderful as they were in some ways, is going to give way to this glorious edifice, the temple of the Lord. Now, we have, therefore, three things coming together here to be added to the covenant through Moses. So the whole first part, you know, when we read through, through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of that was about what God did through Moses in entering into a covenant with his people. And so the law of Moses and, and the covenant that God made was the first big piece that we just have to understand about Old Testament theology. Now we have three more big pieces to be added to it. Number one, David. David and his, uh, his dynasty, the house of David, the promise that God made to David that they would never uh, cease to be a man, a descendant of David sitting upon the throne. This became the source of the, the messianic hope. Uh, Christ is, is uh, the word Christ is the Greek version of the Old Testament Messiah and Messiah refers to this king from the house of David that will rule. Now, so in addition to the covenant, now we have God's promise to David in the house of David. We have Jerusalem, the city of David, also called Zion, the, 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 the heart of, of, uh, of, of, of um, the Israelite faith. And then we have there in Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord, this permanent, beautiful edifice where God has placed his name. So these three things, in addition to the covenant, the covenant in Moses, David, Jerusalem slash Zion and the temple of the Lord are absolutely central to understanding the theology of the Old Testament. 
to read in reading the Psalms or the prophets or to just to understand, frankly, anything about the Old Testament, but also when you get to the New Testament, these things are hugely important. Moses and the covenant, David and God's promises to David, Jerusalem slash Zion, and the temple of the Lord. So we are all in place now. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Finally, I just want to give you just a sense for how all of this physically uh, put, was put together. The ark is just a box. It's covered in gold, but it's just a box. It has got a lid on it. And inside the box, we are told, are the two tablets that God gave to Moses. That's the tabernacle. That's the, the, called the testimonies, and it's all about the covenant, the covenant of the Lord on those uh, on those uh, tablets. On top of the ark was a lid. The lid was called the mercy seat. This is the precise location that God would say, I will meet with, with you, whether Moses or the high priest, as though God were sitting on the mercy seat as though it was his throne, symbolically telling us that while the law and, and the testimonies of God are, are, are going to judge us, God will not judge us according to those testimonies without mercy. Above the uh, mercy seat are two cherubim, um, pounded out of, uh, of gold or silver, I'm not sure which, but huge wings that, that extended over the, the uh, top of the uh, mercy seat. So the ark then was, uh, was put in what was called the Holy of Holies. This was the central room uh, in the, the temple building. The temple building basically had two large rooms, a larger room and a smaller one. The smaller one was called the Holy of Holies, and it's where the ark went. The larger one was outside, uh, you know, it's the other room, uh, and a large curtain, a thick curtain, separated the two. Uh, so while uh, prayers and incense was being offered in the holy place, the ark would be on the other side of this huge curtain in the Holy of Holies where nobody could go or see it or get near it. Um, the temple itself, these two uh, rooms, uh, were set within a large courtyard, and the courtyard itself was holy. The courtyard, which housed the temple, was there on Mount Zion, and Mount Zion there in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem there in the Holy Land of Israel, God's gift to his people. And as you draw nearer and nearer to the Holy of Holies, the sense of being in a holy place and the obligation of holiness becomes greater and greater, uh, and the longing of God's people to be close to the temple or in the courts of the Lord's house becomes greater and greater. So there we have it. Uh, tomorrow we're going to take a look at some deep, wonderful theology to help us understand the presence of the Lord and the importance of God's presence uh, in the temple and later on in Christ in his church. Right, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is going to start comparing two things. He's going to talk about the letter, which kills, and the spirit, which gives life. He's comparing two things. The things that he is comparing are not the old covenant through Moses, what we've just been talking about, Moses and David and his descendants and Jerusalem and the temple and Zion. He's not comparing that and, and, and the new covenant of our Lord and Savior. What he's comparing is what has become of the covenant with Moses and what God is now doing through the new covenant of our Lord and Savior, okay? The letter kills, the spirit gives life. What does he mean? The letter, 
words, words alone, however true, however powerful, however right, however well they tell us what we ought to do, even if they come straight from the mouth of God, words alone, even if written on stone, even if remembered forever, words alone cannot help us. The reason is we cannot help ourselves. Words alone, at best, just leave us where we are. They may tell us the way, but we're not able to follow them. At worst, at worst, words alone just tell us how bad off we are and how under the condemnation of God we are. The letter, words alone, if God just leaves us here, dooms us. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. What is happening in the New Testament of our Lord and Savior is that God is not just giving us more words, but through those words, he's giving us the spirit itself. Not only that, but Christ himself has come to assume the responsibility for the whole covenant. Christ our Lord himself is doing what the blood of goats and bulls could not do. Even the things of the Old Testament, like the temple and all the rest, in the end, were only shadows. But the things that they were foreshadowing was Christ the real thing. So now Christ comes to assume this covenant and in working this covenant for us through these words, these words are not words alone. This is not the letter alone. This is the letter infused with the Holy Spirit, which doesn't just tell us where to go, but bears us along. Now, to be perfectly frank, the old covenant was never just about letters. The old covenant was always God bearing his people along, never just telling them what to do and expecting that them on their own strength and ability to do it. God has always borne his people along. He has always been accommodating and there's always been the Holy Spirit to guide his people. He has never just left us to ourselves. The comparison that Paul is making is not between what God was doing through Moses and what God is now doing through Christ. The comparison is what has become of the people of God in their relationship to God compared to what God actually wants and is doing through Christ. And frankly, what was foreshadowed in the old covenant. What had become of the Jewish faith is a focus on words and letters and wisdom and commandments to the exclusion of the power of God that was needed in order to accomplish this, or the recognition that God himself is going to have to maintain this covenant because we cannot. If there's anything that the old covenant teaches us is that we cannot. If this is what God requires, we can't do it. But that's not what the old covenant taught alone. It taught us that we can't do it, but it also taught us that God can and will. For he is a faithful God who has made promises to his people and borne us through the wilderness, brought us into the promised land, set up a king for us, brought us the Christ, and is now himself assuming the work of the covenant and giving us the Holy Spirit. So Paul is contrasting the dead letter of words alone, which cannot help those who are dying, and the power of the Spirit that infuses the Word of God in the New Covenant, worked by Jesus Christ, that makes alive. 